This is Barry Zelma, Zelma on insurance. Today I'd like to speak about insurance for punitive damages. Insurers generally argue that they cannot indemnify or insure for punitive damages awards. Insurance carriers in California, for example, typically rely on public policy and Many point to California Insurance Code Section 533, which states, quote, an insurer is not liable for a loss caused by the willful act of the insured, but he is not exonerated by the negligence of the insured or of the insured's agents or others. Insurance carriers frequently cite Peterson v. Superior Court, a 1982 decision of the California Supreme Court, in support of their argument. The Peterson Court addressed the question of whether the imposition of punitive damages negates an insured's coverage for compensatory damages as well as punitive damages. It stated that indemnification of the punitive damages is disallowed for public policy reasons. Many courts have recognized that the California Insurance Code Section 533's bar against coverage does not apply when an insured's liability is based on the acts of its agents, employees, or representatives, at least absent evidence that the insured or in the case of a corporation, its board of directors, authorized or ratified the intentionally wrongful conduct. Because punitive damages requires intent to do the wrong and therefore can never be fortuitous. For example, in Aronson versus National Automobile, a 1955 decision of the California Supreme Court, the insured son, a minor, started a fire that damaged school property, and the school district obtained a judgment against the plaintiff for the amount of the damage. The carrier refused to defend the suit or to pay the amount of the judgment, claiming that the injury was caused intentionally by an insured and therefore fell within the intentional acts exclusion or, alternatively, Section 533. The court concluded Section 533 has no application to a situation where the insured is not personally at fault. It apparently ignored the fact that the minor child living with his parents was also an insured. A claim for bad faith conduct that breaches the common law duty to deal fairly and in good faith with its insured can potentially result in three types of damages. One, benefit of the bargain damages for accompanying breach of the contract. Two, compensatory damages for the tort of bad faith. And three, punitive damages for intentional, malicious, fraudulent, or grossly negligent conduct. Pennsylvania's long-standing rule that a claim for punitive damages against a tortfeasor who is personally guilty of outrageous and wanton misconduct, is excluded from insurance coverage as a matter of law. Butterfield v. Gionoli, a 1995 decision, 
and Esmond versus Lissio, a 1966 decision of the Pennsylvania courts held that public policy does not permit a tortfeasor to shift the burden of punitive damages to his insurer. This rule is based on the view that punitive damages are not intended as compensation, but are rather a penalty imposed to punish the defendant and to deter him and others from similar outrageous conduct. To permit insurance against the sanction of punitive damages would be to permit such offenders to purchase a freedom of misconduct altogether inconsistent with the theory of civil punishment which such damages represent. Furthermore, shifting punitive damages to insurers would result in insurers pricing up policies to factor in drivers who behave egregiously because Pennsylvania law prohibits insurers from providing coverage for punitive damages in order to ensure that tortfeasors are directly punished, the court held that Allstate could not be responsible for punitive damages occurred in the underlying lawsuit. To hold otherwise would shift the burden of the punitive damages to the insurer in clear contradiction of Pennsylvania public policy. This was Wolf versus Allstate, a 2015 decision of the Third Circuit Court of Appeal. In Dart Industries versus Liberty Mutual, the Ninth Circuit in 1973 concluded that the underlying complaint alleged that the insured corporation's president sent a defamatory letter to a customer on corporate letterhead. The jury found the president intentionally spread the falsehoods contained in the letter. The carrier contended that Section 533 precluded coverage for the underlying lawsuit. The Ninth Circuit disagreed. The Ninth Circuit held that Section 533 does not bar coverage for a corporation when there remains a complete absence of proof that the policy-making management of the corporation approved, ratified, or had any knowledge of the letter or its libel. Although California Insurance Code Section 533 bars indemnity of an insured who personally commits an act of malicious prosecution, the statute does not bar indemnity of an insured who does not personally commit the act, but who is vicariously liable for another person's act of malicious prosecution. In Fireman's Fund Insurance Company versus the City of Turlock, a 1985 decision of the California Court of Appeal, that court disapproved on other grounds the underlying lawsuit that alleged breach of contract and fraud against the insured city and city attorney for acts and or events that transpired surrounding the firing, reinstatement, and termination of a police officer. A jury awarded the plaintiff damages against both the city and the city attorney on the fraud cause of action. The primary carrier filed suit against an umbrella carrier, claiming that the underlying action 
was covered under the umbrella policy. The court held that Section 533 did not bar coverage for the city absent a finding that the city ratified the city attorney's fraudulent promise, even though the city attorney was employed in a managerial capacity and made the fraudulent promise while acting within the scope of her employment. On the other hand, Texas has nonetheless interpreted its law to permit such coverage. Consider Home Indemnity v. Tyler, a 1975 decision, and American Home v. Safeway Steel Products, a 1987 decision. The Texas courts that have interpreted the all-sums phrase have held that the term encompasses punitive damages. In Fairfield v. Stephen Martin, a 2008 decision of a Texas appellate court, answering a certified question from the United States Court of Appeal for the Fifth Circuit, the Texas Supreme Court answered that Texas public policy does not prohibit coverage under the types of workers' compensation and employers' liability insurance policy at issue in the case for punitive or exemplary damages. So unlike the California and Pennsylvania courts and most courts, in Texas, an insurance company can be caused to pay punitive damages on behalf of an insured. Even if there is a sufficient basis for an award of punitive damages against an insured, that does not mean there is no insurance coverage available for the award. There are no hard and fast rules. Even when a public policy is clearly stated, there are exceptions that insurers and their representatives must recognize. Constitutional challenges continue to be made against punitive damages awards, starting as early, if not earlier, in BMW of North America versus Gore, a 1996 decision of the U.S. Supreme Court that found that grossly excessive punitive damages award violate the due process rights of defendants. The court listed three criteria to evaluate whether such a gross violation has occurred with the first predominating. One, is the punitive award grossly excessive in light of the reprehensibility of the defendant's misconduct? Two, is the disparity between the harm or potential harm to the plaintiff and the amount of punitive damages excessive? And three, is the punitive award comparable to civil damages or punitive awards in similar cases? Not pleased with the results of cases brought under Gore, the Supreme Court issued its decision in Cooper Industries v. Leatherman in 2001, where the Supreme Court held that federal appellate review of punitive damages awards for alleged due process violations is conducted on a de novo, that is, an all-new basis as if there had been no trial. Cooper was a trademark infringement and false advertising dispute between two tool manufacturers. The U.S. Supreme Court took the case, 
to determine the proper standard of review on appeal. The court conceded that trial judges were better positioned to evaluate the first Gore criteria, reprehensibility, because that issue turns largely on witness credibility and demeanor. As to the second Gore criterion, the court found that appellate courts were in as good a position as a trial judge to evaluate the disparity between the harm or potential harm to the plaintiff and the ward itself. The final criteria, compatibility, was found to be more suited to the expertise of appellate courts because it involved a broad legal comparison. The Supreme Court said, quote, despite the broad discretion the states possess with respect to the imposition of criminal penalties and punitive damages, the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment to the Federal Constitution imposes substantive limits on that discretion. The clause makes the Eighth Amendment's prohibition against excessive fines and cruel and unusual punishment applicable to the states. Cooper is a departure from previous rulings because it found that punitive damages once performed a compensatory function that had been supplanted by new forms of damages, including non-economic damages, while compensatory damages remain a fact to be determined by the jury. Punitive damages are an expression of its moral condemnation to be accorded, therefore, less respect. The Supreme Court found punitive damages to be quasi-criminal. As such, it treated non-jury authority over the size of the awards as comparable to that maintained over criminal sentencing. Since the decision in Gore, the Cooper Court noted Alabama, Alaska, North Carolina, and Ohio had enacted caps on punitive damages, as had other states. In Ohio, the public policy prohibiting the protection of insurance for punitive damages stems from the underlying assumptions that an individual should not be able to escape punishment for his or her intentionally malicious acts, and that the deterrent effect of punitive damages would be diminished, if not totally destroyed, if tortfeasors can be indemnified against them by an insurance company. On the other hand, the Texas legislature has been sensitive to the issue of insurance coverage for punitive damages and has made the policy decision to preclude such coverage in certain circumstances. Considering general public policy and whether insurance coverage for punitive damages is not precluded. Consider American International Specialty versus Rest Care, a 2008 decision of the Fifth Circuit. This video was adapted from my book, Zelma on Insurance Claims, Part 106, Second Edition which is available from Amazon.com as both a Kindle book and a paperback. Please, if you found this video to be useful or interesting to your colleagues, pass it on. It's free. And please also subscribe to my Rumble channel, my YouTube channel, and my blog so that you can learn of future videos and future blog postings. Thank you for your attention.